0: Today we'll be discussing pitching TV shows and movies, and we'll be discussing erectile dysfunction. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Insert awkward penis joke here. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be discussing how to pitch a TV show or a movie, and then we'll be discussing erectile dysfunction with a minimum of inappropriate jokes, Ali.
1: It's quite serious, and, you know, if either of us were suffering from this, we certainly wouldn't consider it a laughing matter. The problem is you are conditioned from a young age by the people around you to make jokes about the penis. It's a weird-looking thing. Many women agree with me. It's one of the weirdest-looking things ever. So it is the... Subject of many jokes, I think we're going to put that to bed today because this is something serious that can help a lot of people. And I, Asif, I'm the one who brought this up, actually, because when I was researching veganism or plant-based food, somebody talked about erectile dysfunction being what's called the canary in the coal mine. When that happens, there's usually other things going on. So that's what we're going to talk about. But first, let us talk about the pitch.
0: You know what I'm saying? Oh, I do. It's my question for you. Okay, Ali, I want to talk to you about pitching, like, an idea for a TV show or movie. I want to get rich quick. I'm assuming I could just call up a Hollywood (laughs) studio and tell them my idea and they'll sign me up immediately. So I want you to burst that bubble and just tell me a bit about this, because I know you've had to do this several times for several different iterations of things you've been working on over the years. Some that were successful, some that not as successful, right? Or some still in progress, so let's start at the beginning. How do you get started with this idea of a pitch? So a pitch, by that I mean, like, with the way I think about it is this is something you try to sell to producers, to a studio, to a production company, I guess. You know, how do you, I guess, choose who you sell this to? How do you find those people? And how do you get started? Like, where do you start with this? Your
1: question's show your ignorance in a way that I've never quite seen before. But yes, fair, fair questions. When you say, who do I go and pitch this to? It suggests that you think that there's just thousands of people Mm -hmm. waiting to read your amazing product. And that is actually the prevailing view. That's what people think. And that is a recipe for lots of disappointment. So I'm going to break this up. There's two things you you should be thinking about in my mind, two main things when you're doing a pitch. Number one, I think you have to look at what you have. Basically, you need to know your own product and you need to know who you're pitching it to very well. So your own product, I'm going to get to, but let let me start with who you're pitching it to because the who is a huge part of it. And I think... You know, I learned this many years ago. I was interviewing for a job at Future Shop. This is many over twenty years ago. The interview process was about twenty people in a room. They break them up into groups of you know six,
0: seven. Future Shop, by the way, is like a Best Buy.
1: It's a Best Buy or a Circuit City or whatever you want to. Yeah, exactly right. So it's it's an electronics mega store that no longer exists in Canada, but. The way they broke us into groups, you know, the first thing this guy, this sort of, you know, team leader or whatever you want to call it, the first thing he did, he goes, okay, first thing, sell me this pen. He holds up a pen, he goes, sell me this pen. So as it turns out, and you know, as I think about it, it was probably about 10 people in our group. I remember I went third and then a bunch of people went after me. So the first guy goes, you know, this pen, this pen is amazing. You know, you should really buy this pen. Like you've never seen a pen like this. It can write in so many different colors. And so he starts just inventing things about the pen and really sweet talking the pen. Some people might say, oh, that's that's a pretty creative way to do it. You know, and then the second guy goes, okay, he has to. What do you want to call it? Trump the first guy. He has to have a better pitch than the first guy. So he's like, okay, you know, this pen has multiple uses. It's not just a pen. It also is a laser pointer. It also is a weapon. It also is this. So now he's gone and made this pen like multi-purpose tool of your, of your imagination. And so I was the third guy and I was like, oh man, I don't know how to do any better than these guys. So I just tried to flip the whole thing in my head and I said, you know, he goes, okay, you sell me this pen. I go, okay, so first of all, what are you looking for in a pen? And he looks at me, this, this team leader there, the guy who's doing the interview, he goes, thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, you cannot sell something to somebody if you don't know what they're looking for. Your product has to fill a need and you're, you have to know what their needs are, what a customer's needs are. And I, I am no salesman. I'm actually an awful salesman as anybody from that year and a half at Future Shop will tell you. But I was just in a weird position. I got, I got to flip this around. And then what happens, everyone who went after me would be like, yes, well, as this guy said, as Ali said, you know, what are you looking for in a pen? But I always remember that. That's an experience that I'll never forget as far as sales goes. And I've had many people try to sell me on stuff uh, in the world. You know, I've had friends who've tried to be like, listen, man, you should hire me to work with you for the, and, and I realize, oh, they don't realize I'm not looking for anybody. And so what happens is people think that once you hear their pitch... You will now want this incredible romantic movie set in outer space in a post apocalyptic world. All people gotta do is hear us out and they will love our project. That's just not how it works. And if it does, it's because you are Brad Pitt or, yeah, you shook your head off it. You don't like my Brad Pitt.
0: Brad Pitt and me have a lot in common, but no. I thought it was, couldn't it just be luck though? Like you happen to pitch something, oh, you know, we happen to be looking for, or that is just so unlikely. But pitching is tough
1: enough as it is that relying on luck on top is, of that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. anybody it's a who full relies lottery. on luck for
0: something, you know I mean? that's not a good strategy. For, that's yeah, playing that's the right, lottery, right. Yeah, right? Sure. Yeah, and sure. right? And playing the yeah, lottery, point. we good can point. all okay, have some. Sorry.
1: So the idea is really know who you're selling to and what their needs are. If you are pitching a Christmas movie to a company that's never done a Christmas movie, has no interest, has no skills, has no you know, resources to do a Christmas movie, what are you doing? That sounds crazy to people, but that's effectively what most people do they get a meeting with somebody they get some time and i'm i'm talking about not just sitting down with network executives but sometimes you get to sit down with an agent sometimes you get to sit down with somebody who's going to do you a favor because they're a friend of the friend and they're they're in the industry but the best thing you can do is find out who this person is what they typically look at what has been pitched to them i mean you can't always answer these questions but as much as you possibly can find out what this company does find out what their skills are you know if you want to pitch a show about food and travel, don't pitch it to a company that specializes in uh, movies of the week, right? That's not, you're basically barking up the wrong tree. And that happens very, very often. So that's the first thing I wanted to share that the who can come in many different forms. It can be a friend of a friend, or it can be an actual gatekeeper at a network. But whatever the case is, talk to them about something that they're in need of. So I think that's a very
0: good point. So it's something that you said right there, is something they're in need of. Because say you're like, oh, perfect, this company does a whole bunch of Christmas movies. They've done one Christmas movie a year for the past eight years. Perfect. And then you go and you pitch them your Christmas movie. They're like... Yeah, we're trying to uh, stop doing Christmas movies. Yeah, we're trying to get out of that that thing, right? And certainly, Ali and I, we've had that experience. With some people had some initial interest in the podcast, but then you know they're like, "Well, we're trying to get rid of you know two people conversation type podcast, right?" And then it's like, okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That
1: recent happen- it recently happened to me with a food show as well. We're not interested in it. Too- now, we didn't go too far in that case. We didn't like over pitch this thing and be like, oh, we've wasted our time. But there is a story I have of when I was like very, very focused on pitching to the food network or, or sorry, working at the food network, being a chef host on the food network. That was my singular focus in life. Boss, if you'll remember this time of my life, that's all I talked about. That's all I cared about. You know, a producer found me, I didn't even find the producer. And that producer told me, he told me some pretty wild stuff to be quite honest. He made me believe things in myself that I didn't even believe in. He really, you know, they were a big, big force in HGTV and they wanted to make an impact in, in the food network. And they were like, we think you could be the next face of the food network. I was like, wow, I can't even believe the words you're saying. I've never even thought that about myself, but I would, this is amazing. So he had a connection at the Food Net- Network, and he said, in my experience, the best thing we can do is work on three different pitches. <laughs> so three different ideas for shows. So we're going to the Food Network, and we're going to the Food Network with food shows. So we're obviously going to the right place, right? We come up with three distinct ideas. One is more in the reality space. One is more cooking. One is more sort of family meal th- type of thing. They're all uniquely different from each other, and they touch different you know, parts of the food world. We have the meeting set. We work hard towards the deadline. We've got something to work towards. We go to this meeting. And this woman at the Food Network, who he knew well, and he couldn't believe the way he was treated, actually. He was like, she's never been like that. I don't understand what happened. She goes through all three. She goes, okay, so you have this one. Yeah, I don't think that's really something that we're interested in doing. Number two, we're doing something like that next spring. And number three, I think we've already done something like that. I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up. So even when you are meeting the right person with the right things and a wide variety of things that they might be interested in, and you've been told that you are like some kind of a rising star, that is still a very distinct reality. That experience is anybody who's pitched anything will have a dozen stories to match that story or even worse. So nothing is guaranteed in pitching. Nothing is guaranteed. So the best thing you can do is increase your odds of selling something to somebody who needs that thing. Right? So that's, that's where I'm coming from, where because even if you do that, you still don't have any guarantees, but rather than play a game of luck, really try to do your due diligence on who you're speaking to. That's the first thing. The second most important thing is to know your product inside out. You might not be sharing all of this in the pitch but you should know everything about your pitch. And there's a document I got. This is something you can find online. It was 50 in-depth character questions. And we had written a script and we thought we were pretty, we knew our world. We do exactly what we're, we're gonna you know, talk about if we got a pitch meeting. And then I saw this in-depth character questions document and it asks questions like, how does your character think about their father? Do they hate them? Do they love them? What was the father's influence? Was it literal or imagined the influence that the father had? I was like, what? I've never thought about, that's unbelievable. Same thing about the mother. Who are their brothers and sisters? What were their siblings like? What do they love about them? What do they despise about them? Were they sheltered as a child? Were they over, you know, we talk so much about like a middle child and like an only child. and These are things that you have to think about your characters. Now, sometimes you're pitching something that has nothing to, I mentioned a travel food show, for example. You don't have to think about that, but there's many other things you have to think about. If this character is faced with this, how will they react? And they re- react that way because of what? And, you know, what will you do if it's this kind of a climate, if this happens, if that happens? So you just have to have crazy questions. So just to give you a, a, an idea of some few other of these in-depth character questions, is your character street smart, book smart, intelligent, intellectual, slow-witted? This is something you might have already answered. But what is the economic status of this person's family? And what was it 30 years ago? Right. So now you start thinking about like, okay, so this kid grew up possibly poor and then be, watched their parents become wealthy. So that means they watch their parents work hard towards a goal. So they maybe have those same goal. I mean, it's crazy kind of questions like that. What, are, you know, does this person, does this character travel? Where would they have traveled? Why would they travel there? What are your character's deepest disillusions In life, what were the most impressive political or social or national, international events that they ever experienced? I mean, it is, and there's 50 of those, right? So, my friend and I thought we had a great script and we knew everything about our characters. And then I just happened upon this document on the internet and I was like, okay, buddy, we're going to pause everything and we're going to go back to the drawing board. And this serves you very, very well. Because you like the way you should know how you would react in a certain situation, you should know your character is the same It's like
0: when I give a scientific talk, you know, at a conference, which I do occasionally, you're not worried about the talk itself. That's like your pitch. It's the questions afterwards. Right? And that's when you do extra research to make sure. And sometimes most people who present have extra slides after their PowerPoint deck, because they're like, oh, it's funny you asked that question. Here's a slide that addresses this because you try to anticipate what they're going to ask. So this is a tool to help you anticipate. So totally makes sense to me. I understand where you're coming from.
1: And on that note also, Asif, a great thing to do if you're being very thorough is those slides you're talking about, you create them after every talk. Okay, this person asked this question. I should probably have a slide for that. So you're constantly working at strengthening this pitch, right? So those are the two big things about pitching. Know your product inside out and really try your best to know
0: who you're pitching to and
1: why they've asked to see you and what they do and what their needs are. So is it
0: written? Is it like we talked about a PowerPoint? Do you do a PowerPoint? Do you? Yeah, I don't know. Is it just verbal? Is it just sit in a room and start talking? So
1: there's a variety. Again, this this is somebody's. I think what I've typically experienced is somebody doesn't want to read. A say ten pager or a fifteen pager. So there's there's something called a treatment. The treatment is like your really your pitch page, and it's anywhere from one page to five pages. When I started, it was like five was okay, and now it's gone to one to two, just based on people's, I guess, patience or attention span, busyness, whatever you want to say. So a treatment can be a two-pager, possibly a three-pager, but it used to be five, and now nobody, that doesn't seem to be what people are interested in. And the treatment gives you broad strokes while still really engaged. It's, It's your sales document, in essence. So every word in that treatment is important. There shouldn't be any redundancy. There shouldn't be any wasted words. The format of it is up to you, you know, but typically you start with a log line at the top. And you know what a logline is, Asif? You can... This means something to you?
0: It's like a tag? No.
1: No. For example, I'll give you some logline examples. First of all, let me see if you can figure these out. The aging patriarch of an organized crime dynasty transfers control of his clandestine empire to his reluctant son. The godfather? You got it, buddy. Okay. Next one. After a simple jewelry heist goes terribly wrong the surviving criminals begin to suspect that one of them is a police informant. Reservoir dogs? Yes, but you got it. I knew you would. After he wrongly takes the blame for his father's death, a lion cub grows up in exile and must return with his unlikely friends to reclaim the throne from his evil uncle. Napoleon Dynamite the Lion King. Okay. All right. So you're not as good as I thought you were, but yeah, like that is your log line. And, and while that seems like a simple enough line that can takes weeks and months to nail down every single word like that in the Godfather, as he, he wants to transfer control to his reluctant son, I'm willing to bet there was 10 different words that came in there before reluctant, right? Because that's an important thing. Your log line is your catchy thing. And You know, the logline goes back to the days of like, you know, pre-internet when somebody would say, okay, let's go see this movie. Oh, what is it about? And you had
0: Mm -hmm, whatever, mm -hmm.
1: you know, 20 seconds of that person's attention, your spouse or your children or whoever it is, say, well, it's a movie about blah, 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 you know? And then, yeah, you kind of win them or lose them in that moment. And that's why you have... So many, you know, much has been written about this, but that's why you had so many sequels, because it's like, it's an easy sell. If I say to you Mad Max 2 or Lethal Weapon 3 or Mighty Ducks 4, not too much explanation is required. You get it. It's the same franchise. They're just doing something different. So the sales pitch, which is the toughest part, is built in. But in any case, that log line is usually at the top. That is your selling. You know, that's the description of it. And it can kind of make and break you. And sometimes it's not even in your control somebody can look and be like, ah, organized crime, we don't do that. That's not our thing. We are all about family. But they misunderstood us by thinking that we could also do a crime family. We only do, you know, Disney family or YTV family or family stuff like that. So your log line is typically at the top. Then you sell the product in in your treatment. So three treatment, as I said, one to three pages. Then you also can have a Bible. And a Bible is, a, you know, your treatment but on steroids. So your Bible is you have the description of the show. You have sample dialogue in the show. You have all your characters, right? Every single character has a couple of paragraphs about who they are, what purpose they serve in this show. You have uh, locations because now you have to start thinking like a producer. They are going to start asking questions, right? So I'll give you an example of things that people will be thinking in in a room on the other side of the desk. They are thinking about, you know, first of all, does it fit my needs? In other words, my brand, the service I have, the network I have, the programming I do, does it fit there? Do I love it? Do I already have something that's too similar to it? Who's the target audience, right? Who's going to watch the show? How much is this going to cost? What's the return on investment for a show like this? So you have to kind of be anticipating that kind of stuff too. You know, I was writing a movie with a friend who was like, and it was great. It was about two flight attendant buddies and... We're talking about air travel. We're talking about airports. Sure, you can fake that stuff, but you still need hundreds and hundreds of extras in maybe one location to fake an airport. You need pretend airplanes, right? You need like a airplane sets, basically. And you need lots of different locations and this and that. And my buddy who I was writing it with, he was like, I think I could star in this. I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. This movie requires money. We're not doing an indie film that is set in the skies. This is going to require money and your name. And I'm not going to out his name. Sweet, sweet dude, but nobody knows him. So that's the other thing that people are thinking in that room. Will this attract a marquee cast, right? What is the potential of this project to speak to other people who we want involved with it from a financial perspective, from a crew perspective, from a cast perspective? And also they're looking at like, can I work... With you, right. this person or these people who are in this room, that's a huge one. If you give a bad taste in some, you know, person's mouth out of the gate, I mean, that's a lot of time that they're going to be spending with you and they probably spend it somewhere else. And I, in my opinion, but I'm also a guy who's been doing this for a long time and I don't have the same level of desperation that some people have. And in my perspective, the opposite is also true. If I get a bad feeling from the person who I'm in the meeting with, I also don't want to work with them. And that obviously if I'm with somebody who's like, no, 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 we should do whatever it takes to work with them. That'll be a conflict because I'm like, no, no, we have to have respect for ourselves as human beings. But your question was about the format. And, and what I really wanted to answer there in my roundabout way was that typically what I see is they'll take a meeting with you because either they know you from some other world, you know, from some other project Or they know some of the people that you know, so they'll take a meeting with you or they see some potential in you for some reason. So they'll take a meeting with you for some reason, but typically will, they will not read, you know, 15 to 30 page Bible just yet. This is all about time saving in the end,
0: right? Do you think about it? So when this? you send them an initial email, is it do you attach that one or two pager? Or you're like, you know, let's assume you have some credibility with them. Yes. let say it's CBC for you. So they already kind of know you because you yes. work there. And then you're like, oh, I have this idea. You want to talk to the television people there. Would you say, I want to talk to you about an idea? Or would you kind of flesh that out in a paragraph? Or would you flesh that out in a well, one or two Well, yeah,
1: I've been doing this for, for quite some time. So I'm in a position where I'd be like, hey, I got an idea I'm working on. What do you think about this? Is this something you'd be interested in? So I'm finding out if they have a need for it through an email. I'm very lucky to be in that position. Not everybody can, but I find out if they have, and then it's up to them to say, why don't you send us a two pager or best case scenario from my perspective is they like, sure, let's have a meeting, but they're not going to do any work prior to that meeting. And that is okay. And that's why your pitch meeting is your time to really sell your product and not everybody's good at it the same way. Everybody is not good at an interview. I know a guy who was one of my favorite dudes. Love this guy. He puts me in a lot of shows. He pitches my name. Can I attach you to this project? I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. But when he tells me about the show that he's pitching me for, he will start talking about it and then just start laughing. And there's nothing particularly funny in what he's telling me, but he'll start laughing before he even tells it to me. And I always think in my mind, man, I hope you're not doing that in the rooms. Now, I can't obviously say that to him, but it's kind of like, Haasif, you're going to love this project. It's like this character, he's, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's just, he's really gregarious, you know? So first he laughs, and then he says something that's not particularly, so it's like just picturing that in the room, and go, well, I hope that's not how it's going in the room. So not everybody's good at it, but that guy's an incredible writer. So everybody has their skills, and sometimes you need people who right. are good at that well, sales. Well, it's pitch. interesting.
0: I read an interview recently with Nathan Fielder because I just finished. I'm a year late to the rehearsal. Oh, yeah, by Nathan, has it Fielder. already been a year? Sure we got to, yeah, we got to talk about that sometime. That is, I can't. <laughs> it's an insane series. If anybody watches it, but Nathan Fielder is a pretty awkward kind of guy, and a bit, I guess with his. Team, his production team, when they're pitching something, they're like, can you come to the meeting? He's like, it's going to actively detract from the pitch if I'm there. It's going to lower the chances it'll be accepted. So unless oh, wow. it's 100% necessary to meet with HBO, I would rather not oh, do that because it's going to ruin our chances. That is so interesting. He knows, he knows how exactly he is how person. awkward he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's right. And, and he is. He is, right? So anyway, that makes sense. That makes sense. And so, But when you have these meetings, is there, I think, a lot about this. We saw some of this in Barry, the most recent season of Barry, when his girlfriend slash ex-girlfriend is, is dealing with the networks. A lot of this fakeness, right? When you meet with these TV people, movie people, is that what you've experienced? Like, they're like, great. Oh, Ali, yeah, great to see you. Great, great, great. And then never call you again. Or is it more like that example you were saying where they're like, no, pass, no, bye. You know? I
1: mean, I haven't experienced the fakeness as much in that world. I've experienced it most with actors You know, there's this idea of like when you're a performer, you want to find your voice on stage, you know, especially in comedy, you want to find your voice on stage. I feel like as an actor, you're so focused on finding your voice as a performer. I think a lot of actors, especially when they start young, this is just my opinion, but I think some of them never find their voice as a human being. And I've met some of those people. So you just, you know, you meet somebody 10 times and you're like, have I even met the real version of that person? I'm not sure. So I, I haven't felt it in rooms. I've come to terms over the years with the fact that if somebody is abrupt with you in the room and is not interested, that's actually good news. They did not waste your time. You didn't waste their time. Most importantly, they didn't waste yours. And also, if they don't want to work with you, it's not high school. You're not trying to get the most beautiful girl in high school to be like, oh, come on, if you would only see how cool I am underneath this nerdy exterior, I know you'd date with me. Like, you're you're an adult, you're a grown person, and you should be like, okay, let's move on. If they're not interested, then we're not interested in working with them. I, I really am a strong believer in that. And I think I was telling you, Asif, that with my daughters who've been searching for jobs... You know, this is a big thing. Like, don't be disappointed when somebody doesn't want you to work there because you wouldn't want to work somewhere where somebody didn't want you there anyway. You want it to be a good fit. You know, we have a good friend of ours who's a lawyer. When he was looking for a law firm, there was only two law firms that were interested in him and his degree and his marks. This goes back many years. And one of them was very social. And one of them, he asked one of the lawyers who was there, he goes, so what do you guys do for fun? And the guy didn't understand the question. He goes, what do you mean? Like on the weekends? And our buddy was like, no, no, I mean like at work, like do you have any social events? And he goes, no, we don't really do that. And he was upset when he first got rejected from that job. But I I remember telling him, like, you don't want to work there anyway. That would be a very short-lived, miserable career. So that's how I approach these pitch meetings. If you have something that you believe in and you're prepared and, and you bring as much of your own personality to it that you can and they reject that, then it's like, you know what? Thank you. Like, if you don't like my personality and my work, then... That's okay. Not everybody is for everybody. And so there's a, and I say all this very intentionally, Asif, because the world of pitching requires a very, very thick skin. And you have to have sort of built in coping mechanisms. You cannot take these things personally. As I always, uh, one example that I always use is like, you know, you go in. It's no different from going in for a role. You go in for something and you happen to remind one of the executives, your face resembles her ex-husband. What are you going to do? You can't control that. There's nothing you can do. And she can't control that either. But she's like, I don't know. I get a weird feeling from this person. I don't know if I want to work with them. And that's it. So it's not always based on a story.
0: That's a real story. It wasn't my face, but that's a real story. But you you've heard that yeah very sure interesting. sure so okay what about when you get notes back so you've done a pitch okay yeah. now you're getting some feedback hopefully it's not feedback like change your face but it's some notes back so what do you do? like are you like no way I'm sticking with our thing there's no way we're caving into your notes or this is a funny thing because now you've
1: passed a couple of major hurdles when you're asking me that question right you've gotten the meeting yeah you have impressed them in the meeting you have presented them with a an engaging compelling project that they are now interested in and you will now you now have the potential like nothing can advance without these two things happening so you're there and now it's notes time and that's really a very challenging time for people and some people have left the process at the notes part they're like, I can't work with these people. And you know, when my buddy and I were doing a project, we were, and you remember, you would have read this script, Asif, but my friend and I, my buddy Dave and I were doing a project and it was, we worked in a hip hop boutique and I was the money man, which is hilarious. Me being a money man, but that's why it's called acting. I was the financier behind this, this store. And my friend Dave was the manager of the hip hop boutique. He's very, ing- you know, in that world. And as you get the notes, you realize, you know, it's a Pakistani guy and a Middle Eastern guy running a hip-hop boutique with all the clothing and shoes and the rest of it. And as you get the notes, you go, oh, okay, we got to be a little bit careful with this. Otherwise, before you know it, we'll be two Portuguese guys who run a shoe store. Like something, this will be
0: completely... You mean from the notes? The notes from the wand- notes. Yeah, your own wand- vision
1: yeah. can totally be trampled on. And I think... There's a couple of things happening on the extremes in the world of the creator. The extreme is you are very precious about your project and not willing to give up anything. And that's very dangerous. You shouldn't be in that world. And on the other side, there's people who have no actual feedback but just to justify the fact that they are a network exec or a you know producer they have to give notes so sometimes these notes are for no real reason other than like well let's see maybe let's try this so those are the two extreme things that really butt heads so you have to find a middle ground and sometimes it's just about being very honest like listen These five notes were great. These three are not things we want to budge on. How do you feel about that? And if you can have those relationships, I mean, I don't know. I think if there's no room for honesty in these relationships, it's really bad. But that's why also one of the best things you can do for yourself. I was just saying that, you know, you need somebody who can sell a project in the room. I'm pretty good at that. I'm pretty good at that. When I like the project and I'm fun and I you know, pretend dialogue, I, I enjoy being in a room. What I'm not good at is talking to somebody who's given us the notes. I feel like being honest and straightforward and being like, yeah, we didn't like that. note. thank you. But no, thank you. I feel like being very straight and direct and that can really ruffle some feathers. So the best thing is to have a producer on your side at that point. Or have somebody in your team who is good at that and somebody who protects the other people from themselves. Sometimes you need that too, right? Like make sure that this person does not speak because every time they right. speak, yeah, they, ruin they it are for a everybody. problem yeah. and they yeah, ruin yeah, it exactly. for the entire project. Right. So that's another very important point. If you're a team, know everybody's strengths. If you're a solo person, know what you're good at, not, what you're not good at. And if something you're not good at might get in your way of moving forward.
0: Do you ever do this? This is what sometimes when I submit like a scientific paper, you get notes from reviewers. We've talked a bit about the peer review process in the past. And say they give ten points that they want you to change. Sometimes I'll address eight of them and just ignore two of them. Like I don't even when I write them a letter back saying what I've changed, I don't even include those two. I just don't even mention them and then just hope it slips by. Do you ever do that? That's a classic technique,
1: and from my experience, most producers will be like, "Great, thank you." And what about these other two? They have a the, very Those are probably good the ones they cared about
0: asked. the most, right? But yeah, I would well, say that. Hopefully. By the way, my strategy does work on many journals. <laughs> just does it work? You, yeah, you forget about two of them. And they can't be major things if they're like you did this analysis incorrectly. Like you have to redo the analysis, but yeah. if they're, they're a minor thing, like who cares? Like just I just ignore it, and then usually it works. Like sometimes. Yeah. i think usually it works okay so then can i ask you this is a bit of an awkward question what's the furthest you've gotten for something like this and then it felt like it just kind of fell apart or it didn't go then maybe not fell apart but just like you know it really seemed like it yeah because you know i don't have a th- thick skin as all knows, so i think i'd be really affected by this especially if they're like yeah we like this we've given you notes you've come back to us like what's the furthest it's gone and how is that
1: Well, one project we did, we were in development with two different networks. After one network was like, we're not interested in another network, the production company we were working with filmed a few small clips of our kind of like scenes, right? So they were almost like sketches, but they were like, here's the dynamic between these guys. And based on those scenes, these networks gave us money. They were like, we want to work with you for the next, whatever, six months, eight months, a year. Here's money. It's like a holding deal. We give you this cash and we will work on creating this. So both times we are super excited, but we were not able to give people a script that matched up to those scenes. The scenes were too good and the scripts never quite matched up. So we just created these unrealistic expectations that kind of sucked another time this was in the food world. I was the list. I was going to say shortlisted. I was the list for the host of this show, so this wasn't a pitch that I did, but I was part of their pitch. They attached my name, then they said we're going to do a sizzle reel. You will be part of the sizzle reel on day one. The head of the Canadian arm of the network was there where the day we filmed. the second day we filmed, the head of the u s network was there, so it was huge. And two weeks later, one of the head of networks, the American woman, she left new head of a network came in and was like looking across their desk, sort of, you know, what else do we got? What else do we got this? Nah, nah, that's not interesting. And just flicked away this project like it was a nothing. And that's a very common story. That's a very common story. But again, it's like it's about making yourself useful and making yourself stand out and making your mark. And it's about legacy. These new network execs and gatekeepers and decision makers come in and they're like, I need to make my mark here. I don't want to make my mark with somebody else's something that doesn't even really speak to me. Right. So sometimes, and even worse, even more painful is they reluctantly make something that was not theirs to begin with. They weren't on it and they do everything to kind of deliberately tank it. And a very common practice on network television was to put it in a terrible time slot, right? Hey, you're going to be on TV. And you're like, oh my God, we're going to be on TV is amazing at 10 p.m. on Sunday. And you're, why are we even doing this? Why do we waste all this time and money? But that sometimes it goes to that too. So you are never, (laughs) never comfortable. Even when you're on television, you're like, this could be canceled by the third episode. So it's, um, that's what I mean when I say it's not for the faint of heart, like the process that I've described starts kind of having like, it can suck right out of the gate and it's can suck right till the end until you're like, we got a five season deal. So rare now, now now I'm talking about some dated concepts with network television, and all this kind of stuff. And that's why the best thing is. You know, I'll wrap this whole thing up by saying one of the best things you can do, one of the best pitches is the actual work. And what I'm talking about there is I'm talking about Issa Rae, Insecure, and I'm talking about Kenny. Those are the two that come to mind, right? I think Issa Rae's Insecure was like Awkward Black Girl or something like this. You know what I'm talking about? She was on YouTube with yeah, these yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Letterkenny yeah, yeah. also was filming like small versions of Letterkenny. And it got such a following that it's like, oh, this is a mini version of what this show could accomplish. And there's your pitch. Now you are in control of almost everything because you're also bringing your viewership with you. So if somebody goes, we'd like you to change this, you're like, well, I'd rather not because that's been working for us. And you can see that with our 850,000 subscribers on YouTube. So you really bring some power when you have tested and true material. And I think I want to wrap all this up by saying the best thing is you create your own thing and create your own world. Also not easy, not easy at all. But if you can, that's one of the greatest things that you can have going for you, you know, and, um, yeah, that's becoming a creator on YouTube. A friend of mine signed up for their creator program. And every week, all they do is they hold you accountable. This week, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And he's like, he was telling me it was more demanding than any classroom he's oh, ever been I'm in.
0: Sure, I'm sure, for sure.
1: But you've paid them the money and they're like, hey, you paid us. You want to do this, right? This is why you signed up, so let's do it. And so it's, again, like, like many programs and schools, it's not for everybody, but if you have... If you have the ability to be consistent, you are in a far greater position than anybody else, as
0: far as being a creator is concerned. Ali, this was all very interesting. A bit sad, in a way, because there's a lot of, I think, disappointments, right, for for everybody. Well, of course, in I show mean, business. if you think about, you know, in the in the olden days, there was only a short, you know,
1: small number of networks, and so many people. Think of how many creatives there are in the world battling to get their voices heard by network execs and casting directors and lit agents and all these people so that they could get their product out there. Now it's actually less sad. You're making less money, certainly, when you have a thousand things people can watch rather than ten. There's not as much money to go around. But if you're a creative and you want to see your work out there, your chances of getting your work out there are huge because it can be on any number. It can be on streamers. It can be on networks, but it can also just live online and
0: still get a huge following and some money. I'm going to uh, segue into a very short story before we get to the next section. You reminded me about this about log lines. There's this apocryphal story about Arthur C. Clarke talking about him and Hemingway. So it's about Ernest Hemingway and a bunch of writers had a competition to write the shortest story. That was also the saddest story. And Hemingway apparently won a $10 bet because everybody just said, this is automatically the best. So I thought about this as a log line. You know, this, this, have you heard of this one?
1: No, I don't. This is,
0: this is the shortest saddest Saddest. story in the world. It's an ad for sale. Baby shoes, never worn. Oh, God. Hemingway was dark. Okay, everyone. So a bit of change of plans. We went a bit long, a bit long on the pitching and on that Ernest Hemingway story. So we're going to change this (laughs) into a two-parter. Next episode, we're going to do just on erectile dysfunction. We need to really devote a lot of time to that topic, so we'll do that. Remember, reach out to us, Dr. V. Comedian, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are everywhere. DrVComedian at gmail.com. And remember that although I'm a doctor, well, we didn't really talk about medicine, but still... Just I'm not remember your doctor.
1: anyway. Continue <laughs> to
0: always remember, he's not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening and stay tuned next week for our second part of this episode, which will be all about erectile dysfunction. Thanks for listening. Bye.